Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 21? We're going to be in verses 25 to 38 today. This is a second part of a message entitled, The Days Will Come. Last week, we looked at verses 5 to 24, and we learned that the days will come when the temple will be demolished, and Jerusalem will be destroyed, and the earth will be devastated by national conflicts and natural catastrophes, and eyewitnesses will be dismayed. And even disciples will be delivered up. They'll be persecuted, hated, and killed for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point was that all of these things are coming, but the end is not yet, Jesus tells us. So what are believers to do? Well, we looked at three things last week. Believers are not to be fooled. They're not to be led astray by false messiahs. They're not to be frightened. They're not to be scared. They're not to be forlorn. They're not to be dreary and miserable and not to be hopeless and despairing. Jesus told us not to worry about being forsaken. Don't be anxious about being abandoned. Don't think that you'll be helpless or hopeless. Don't despair. And we learned four encouragements from last week. First of all, that we would bear witness and we would be helped and we would be preserved and we would not be alone. And really, the message could be summarized this way. Don't panic, be patient, and persevere. Don't panic, be patient, and persevere. The Lord Jesus Christ himself will be with you. But this week is a little bit different. That was a little bit closer to home. In fact, many of those prophecies were fulfilled in the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. But Jesus turns his teaching towards the last day, the great day, the return of Christ. We're going to be looking at four things today. Here's the outline. Number one, the event in verses 25 to 27. Number two, the encouragement in verse 28. Number three, the example in verses 29 to 33. And number four, the exhortation in verses 34 to 36. Would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and following. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. 
Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all is taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit. Speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that we would be awake that we would be alert, that we would heed your words today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In verses 37 to 38, Luke tells us that every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning, all of the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And this book ends what began in chapter 19, verse 47. He was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the, of the people were seeking to destroy him. Remember, this is after the triumphal entry. This is during that week before he would be arrested and hung on a cross and put in a tomb. He's teaching and everyone is hanging on his words and he is speaking to everyone, both believers and unbelievers alike. And so what we see in this text is a message for believers and it should be a message of great encouragement. It should lift our heads and encourage us to look up and keep our eyes looking up and being ready but it should also be a grave warning for unbelievers. If you're here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to pay attention and listen up because this message is for you as well. First of all, I want us to look at, number one, the event. The event, the main event. It's that day, that great day, the second coming of Christ. Look at verse 25, we're going to see first of all that there will be signs in the heavens. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. The prophets spoke of this in Isaiah chapter 13 verses 9 and 10. The prophet Isaiah said this, Behold, the day of the Lord comes 
cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. In Joel chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, the Lord says through Joel, the earth quakes before before them. The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And in verse 30, of chapter 2, he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the blood to moon before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The prophets had spoken again and again about that great day, the, the day of the Lord, the day of coming judgment for the unrighteous, for the wicked, for the enemies of God, all who have not trusted in Him. There will be signs in the heavens, and there will be distress on the earth. Look at the second part of verse 25. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. It was interesting, Charlotte and I were watching some videos from our last trip to Israel, and we were up in the north on the Lebanese border on the Mediterranean Sea at Rosh Hanikra, and we were looking out at the sea, and there was a storm out off the coast. It was a big storm, and I had never seen the waves on the Mediterranean like this. And for a second, I, I could understand the shipwrecks that Paul described, because the sea was agitated in a way that I'd never seen. The waves were, were 8 to 12 feet tall, and they were just roaring and angry. And the text says right here, Jesus says that on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves and the coastlands and and the nations will look on their coasts out on the waters and say, what is happening? Something is different. Look at the agitation of the waves. We've never seen anything like this. The nations are in anguish, in a state of quandary over the strange and perplexing things that are happening in the seas and the oceans. And yet, on that day, the people of God, as it is described in Psalm 46, will be able to say with the psalmist, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. There will be signs in the heavens and distress 
on the earth. There will be people fainting with fear and expectation. Look at verse 26. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Not only are the seas shaking, that's the word that's used in the original language, but the powers of the heavens are shaking and people are overcome with fear. They're fainting, they're trembling. They don't know what's happening, but they know it's terrible. In Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 25 to 28, the writer to the Hebrews says this. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven, speaking of Jesus. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, quoting from Haggai chapter two. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things, of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Signs in heavens, distress on the earth, people fainting with fear and expectation, and then the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Leon Morris says coming with power and glory points to royal power, the coming of the king, the return of the king. It will be visible. Everyone will see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main event. That is the day of the Lord. But there's an encouragement that comes in verse 28. So number two, the encouragement. Look at verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It's a, a great encouragement for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see the signs, don't be discouraged, depressed, or downcast. Don't shrink back. Lift up your heads. Lift up your eyes. Lift your countenances. Your redemption is drawing near. Your deliverance is coming soon. This is a message of hope. 
In fact, it's our blessed hope, as Paul says in Titus chapter 2, the blessed hope of the believer, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The blessed hope of the believer is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be filled with hope and expectation. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, he says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so, or in the same way, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. See, the believer is filled with hope and filled with eager expectation filled with confidence. In fact, the Apostle John says in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. See, the return of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, is a great and exciting day for the believer. We long for him to return. It's a day filled with hope and expectation and confidence. But the flip side for the unbeliever is a day of terror. It's the day of the Lord. Deliverance for the believer and judgment for the non-believer. In fact, it's not your redemption that's drawing near. It's your judgment. If you're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, that day is not your day of redemption. It's your day of judgment unless you turn. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ and wait for Him and long for Him, trusting in Him, the one who delivers you from the wrath to come. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, a day or a, a verse that may be very uncomfortable and not something that's going to be a feel-good message that you're going to want to go and hear at church. But listen, if you're outside of Christ, this is an important word for you. Listen to what the Lord says. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, speaking to believers. He says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, speaking of the, the suffering that believers are going through, the persecution of believers all over the world. 
and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not know, obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Do you see that? For the believer, it's a a day of expectation and the blessed hope, but for the unbeliever, It's a day of judgment and terror. Let me ask you, is this passage an encouragement to you today? Or is it a terror to you today? Because the good news is that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe today you're hearing this message of the coming judgment that the Lord would wake you up and see the judgment that's coming upon your sins and that you would turn from sin and put your trust in Christ, the one who would be your glory and your shield even from the coming wrath of God. So number one, the event. Number two, the encouragement. Number three, the example. Look at verses 29 to 33. Jesus says, Or Luke says, and he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. See, the example is clear and simple. When the leaves come on the trees, you know, in fact, we know in Savannah, springtime is short, the hot weather is coming. We know that when the leaves show up on the trees, the summer is near. And it's a, it's a simple example. It's an easy parable. And the implication is clear and simple too. Look at verse 31. As soon as they come out in leaf and you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. An easy comparison. In the same way that you see leaves come on the trees and you know the summer's coming, when you see these signs, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now what's interesting is in verse 31, The word know is in the imperative. It's a command. It's not just you'll know. When you see these these things taking place, know that the kingdom of God is near. You need to know. You need to understand. You have the responsibility to recognize and understand the times. See, this is a message for everyone. It's a simple message, and all of us need to know and understand that when you see these signs, that the kingdom of God is near. There's responsibility. It's clear and simple. 
But what's not so clear and simple is verse 32, where Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, now that's easy. Heaven and earth will pass away and my words will not pass away. His words are authoritative and eternal. They will not change and they will not pass away. But verse 32 says, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And many theologians have tried to reconcile that and try to understand it and have given many different ways of interpretation. It could be that this generation of the last days, we've been in the last days since the resurrection of Christ, and it could be that this generation of the last days will not pass away until all has taken place. It could have been the first century generation and really speaking of focusing on the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, it's difficult to understand, but one thing is very clear and easy to understand. We have a responsibility to recognize and understand the times. He says, no. When you see these things, no. Understand, recognize, that the kingdom of God is near. There's the example, but number four is the exhortation. Let's look at verses 34 to 36. Number four, the exhortation. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. There's two imperatives in here. And they're present active imperatives. That means it's continuous. It's all the time we need to be continuously doing these things. The first is this, watch yourselves. Continuously watch yourselves. Take heed, take care, give attention to beware. I think one of the things that we saw in 2020, corona and isolation and and people, Christians isolated from other Christians. They got into patterns in their living that were not in line with the gospel and really were a major distraction from them following and pursuing Christ. Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest, because this could happen. Your hearts could be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so then what happens is that that day will come upon you suddenly, like a trap. Instead of you waiting for and longing for and looking for the return of Christ, it's going to catch you by surprise. Don't be distracted or discouraged or depressed or drunk so that that day won't take you by surprise. 
See, I don't think what he is talking about is the kind of partying and drunken, you know, revelry that we think of at college parties on college campuses. That's really not what he's talking about. That is one way that people pursue pleasure and escape the stresses of the world. But he says, don't let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And I think it's more what we saw in 2020 that even believers got snared in. They were stressed, they were isolated, and they started looking to other things to relieve stress, even alcohol. And that's one thing. There are so many pastors that have been caught off guard, taken by surprise, and captured and been removed from ministry. I can remember preaching to a group of pastors in Ethiopia, and they were Pentecostal, they, they abstained from drinking alcohol, and I was talking about the qualifications for deacons and elders, and they were not to be drunken. They weren't be given to drunkenness, and they laughed. And I got the interpreter say, why are they laughing? I, I asked him what was going on, why were they laughing? And he turned to me, he said, oh, they, none of them drink, they all abstain from alcohol. And yet how many pastors have been removed from ministry because they turn to that secretly. Nobody ever knew, and yet it caught them. Their hearts were weighed down in dissipation and drunkenness from the cares and concerns of everyday life, the stresses of life. And you may be here today and you may say, you know what, I think if I look back over the past several years, I've turned away from pursuing Christ and I'm not alert like I was and I've not been watching myself. I've not been keeping a careful watch on myself, my discipline. And I've gotten ensnared in things. And maybe today you say, Lord, I I need your help to turn away from those things. I want to focus on you. I want to pursue Christ with all of my heart. Don't be taken by surprise. And notice in verse 35, it's every one of you. Jesus says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. This is a universal experience, and everyone must carefully watch themselves. The second exhortation is this, stay awake. Continuously stay awake. Look at verse 36, be alert, wake up, arouse yourself at all times and in every season. And it could be that you've grown weary and you're not as alert and awake as you once were and you find yourself drowsy. Maybe your heart is heavy, maybe your eyes are heavy, maybe your spirit is heavy. And Jesus says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. See, on that day, believers will stand. We'll stand in the very righteousness of Christ, and we'll be accepted 
because of the righteousness of Christ. We're trusting in Him alone. That's the only way we could stand. But the unrighteous will not be able to stand. In fact, Psalm 1 says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Be alert, watch yourselves, because for some, it's a day of redemption and it's drawing near, and, but for others, it's a day of reckoning. And I ask you this morning, will that day be a day of redemption for you that you look forward to, that you're excited about? Or could you honestly say that today, if Jesus were to return, that it would be a day of reckoning? The judgment would come upon your sin. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you run to Him for shelter? He is the only one who can deliver you from the wrath to come. We mentioned what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, but what he says to the believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is this. We know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And then He says that they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you've not yet trusted in Christ, would you turn today from your sins and from trusting in other things and turn to God? Turn to Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead and the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. For that great, that great day is our blessed hope, our redemption. And we long and wait for that day with confidence and expectation. Lord, we long for all of your promises to come to pass, for you to make all things new. Lord, we pray that until that time that you would work through us right here at Bull Street to get the message of the gospel out that many people would turn to the Lord Jesus so that that day would be a great day, a blessed hope for them as well, rather than the day of reckoning. Lord, we pray that you would come, that you would work mightily among your people by your spirit, that you would use us right here in Savannah and among the nations to tell the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.